My guest today is Tora Artura. He is an accomplished communicator, multidiscipline performing artist, social activist, and dance teacher. In the first part of my conversation with Tora, we went back to his childhood memories and experiences which shaped who he is now. We talk about his grandmother, his second mother, who was a healer, a storyteller, and she loved to sing. She was Torah's biggest influence and critic in his creative life. Torah mentioned the importance of ritual and how crucial it is to nurse and look after loved ones who are passing. At the age of six, he knew he wanted to dance by witnessing an athletic dancer with a great energy, which he found infectious. Torah notes that the oldest art form is dancing. The way of understanding our body is through dance true movement and when we are disconnected from our body and soul when we are not free we can dance we have a lack of emotional development we talk about how now it is time for artists to create their own platform to speak up and present their work without needing to conform to what gatekeepers might prefer we went through Irish history and decolonization we talk about the importance of feeling emotions as a man in a toxic world. Men are emasculated, which makes it difficult for them to be expressive. We also talk about redefining what masculinity means and the importance of matriarchy in that process. We also dive into rituals, mythology, and keeping the true essence of who one is. We start our conversation with Torah talking about growing up in Zimbabwe. Tell us about growing up in Zimbabwe. How was that experience for you? Zimbabwe. I was talking to somebody yesterday uh, about this experience and I was saying to him, you know, man, I grew up like the way my ancestors grew. I lived like the way my ancestors lived part of my life up until I was five. I lived as, I lived in a mud hut. I lived uh, traditionally, uh, getting water from the borehole, uh, hunting and, you know, uh, experiencing hunting with uh, my uncles. I was born to a 16-year-old mother. Yeah. So I was raised by my grandmother as a child. And so my uncles, who were six in number, uh, I grew up with six uncles and... They were my brothers. Wow. And we did everything. Tell me more about your grandmother. My grandmother, she breastfed me. And she, she was my first mother. Huh. And so I, I, I learned to call her grandmother. At a certain point in my life, I made a conscious decision. Huh. I want to call her grandmother. And... Uh, I got started calling her grandmother and then I got used to calling her grandmother but she was the most forgiving person uh, she was so forgiving even to people who hurt her she would still entertain them uh, she's she died uh, in October last year and I I was very close to my grandmother. Yeah. And she taught me everything that I know. And she was a, a healer. 
that's uh, a quality. She used herbs, uh, but she also talked to people. People used to come just to get advice from her. And uh, she was, <laughs> she was very short. And then, and, and she was very funny. My granny liked to tell stories and she'd give people names to go with their character. <laughs> <laughs> and she loved singing and she would sing uh, traditional songs from her grandmother. In fact, I have produced over the years has been in some way influenced by her. Wow. Uh, she would. So she was your biggest influence. I would say she is my biggest influence. I'm now striving to be like my grandmother. That's beautiful. So it, it must be very difficult for you to um, lose her. I think losing her is not so difficult. I know that death is part of life, but it was the circumstance that she died that was not very pleasant. I was stopped from seeing my grandmother by my aunt and uncle, and they wanted to stop me because of their personal issues with me. And they decided that by stopping me from seeing my grandmother, they would hurt me and then they would force me to do what they wanted me to do. And I got the opportunity to feed my grandmother two days before she died. And nobody, and I fed her and then two days later she died. It, and it was an honor to do that. And I recognized that honor and she was giving me, it was almost like us saying our goodbyes. Because she always told me that if a member or someone you love is sick and is about to go to the other side, it is great to nurse them. She always said, no one nursed your mom and I wish somebody had nursed her. And it was remembering that, that when I was seeing her for the last days that I always remembered that I want to nurse my granny. I want to look after my granny. If I was a girl, even much more an honor and a pleasure, you know, but uh, yeah, we used to fight a lot when I was younger with my grandmother. I used to find her so soft. And I said, granny, don't let people do that. Don't let, and then she says, oh, you know, this is, people don't know what they're doing sometimes. And it's the, it's the wind, she always said, sometimes certain wind catches them and they do these things and it's the wind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's an interesting expression. The air sometimes, you know, like the air. It's the air that makes them behave like that. Yeah. Mamepo, she says, like uh, winds. She wasn't just your grandmother or your second mother. She, she had also a deep connection with you. you. You were like a friend. She was my best friend. And I brought it to Ireland in 2014. 
in September and I carried, we, we hitched from Zimbabwe to Mozambique to Malawi and got a flight together. And before that I had got, a, we had traveled from Zimbabwe and driven to the two of us uh, to the place where she was born so she could get a new passport so she could travel to the UK because it's difficult for Zimbabwean citizens to travel, but it's easier if you have a Malawian passport. So she was born in Malawi. So we did a, we did a, a two week road trip to get her a new passport. And that was an experience uh, in continent towards the end of her life. And I carried her and would make fun of this, you know, like very serious situation. I'm just gonna carry you because that 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 is the the humor in our tradition that she's 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 like your wife, oh. but not in the physical yeah. way, you know. Yeah. And uh, we joke and and you know she'd say things like, "Oh, my husband, you've come. What have you brought for me?" You know. Oh. And we'd have would have humor, would have jokes. I would tell my granny anything. I wouldn't hide anything to her. I would tell her. I'll tell her everything. And she was, she was also my, my critic as well. She would tell me the way it was. And if I chose any other way, that would be my choice, but she would tell me the way, like a good friend would. What is your strongest memory from your childhood? My strongest memory, uh, I remember feeding my grandfather when he had broken his hand. And I must have been about three. Oh. And, yeah, uh, and I remember feeding him with a spoon. Uh, he had broken his hand and he couldn't eat. Uh, he had been beaten up. And, and then I have loads of vivid memories as uh, being chased by, by white men on, on horses uh, around about four and hiding, squeezing through a door to get into the house to hide and hearing uh, horse hooves around the house, galloping around the house, trying to find where my uncle and I had gone to and hidden. Uh, I have memories of the war, um, memories of a man getting stoned to death and then a snake being thrown to make sure he was dead in the ditch and then seeing this for days and flies gathering. Yeah, I have memories of being left alone at the age of five, climbing through the window but these are things that I've, the things that I'm saying to you are things that I've worked and I'm working in how I designed myself through my experiences. So I have those memories like going to boarding school uh, at the age of seven and being the only black children in an all white school and not being able to speak English and learning to speak English in, in a year. 
and using certain techniques to try and learn English. Like I pretended to be sick. And while I was in the sick bay, I would ask the people in the sick bay how to say this, how to say that, how to say this. Uh, because we were not allowed to speak our native language. If you spoke uh, your native language, you'd be punished. You'd have a placard put on your chest to say, I'm a monkey, and you'd wear this during break time. Uh, I've met of being of corporal punishment uh, and being, you know, we call it whacked by the headmaster, the headmistress. I have memories of being mischievous uh, in class, making people laugh and getting into trouble and uh, in class, uh, having fun with uh, my friends and uh, being a popular boy in the class for, <laughs> for making people laugh and uh, acting. I have memories of doing acting as a little boy. I, I guess the memories that I've, I'm sharing with you, most of them are things that I have become. To be honest with you, I'm a bit speechless. Why? Uh, it's a lot going through all those at age of three, four, five. How did you heal? I know I'm that he you're still here. I'm still healing. And I've been thinking in evolving all the time and staying vulnerable and trying yes. to understand, trying to understand. Unpack, unpack what happened to me so that I can see how I made me. So you were kind of a people person when you were in a young age. Wow, yes. I loved, I loved being with people. I loved, uh, right. I loved making people laugh and seeing people enjoy themselves uh, and me being part of it is a love about life. I think for me, that's when everything really comes alive when everybody we're doing something together and we're enjoying it together so how long have you been dancing i think i've been dancing since i was born my great my see when my mother was uh, pregnant she was sent away she was chased out of the house by my grandfather and so i had to be given birth at my grandmother's uncle's house a brother a father's brother's house and he was a famous shaman famous for music and healing and he was called boroma and boroma was one of the best dancers this type of music was just electric and everybody would participate and each member of the family if it's like a, a death a ceremony everybody in the family would dance at the middle at some point, everybody would dance at some point. Um, and I remember sitting with my grandmother and my grandmother telling me about everybody's person, everybody who danced, she would tell me their personalities on how they dance. She said, oh, look at them, they're this kind. And we would do it and we would laugh <laughs> because <laughs> it would be true <laughs> of those we know 
But once we once we observe those we know and then those we don't know, we also use the same. So we understood, she taught me how to read the body with dancing and with the person with the dancing. And so I always, one day at, in primary school, I was in grade two. So that's P2, that's about grade six. I know, uh, um, age six. I saw a dancer and Tinei was his name, which means what do we have, Tinei. And he was dressed in this blue and white, uh, almost like a over big, big, uh, half white and half blue, but long, long cloth, cloth almost like the way in in in, in uh, you, you know like a, a the traditional dressing in a, it's it's a religious cot yeah and and it's half and he had beads he was dancing but he was dancing like upright on the ground he was doing all sorts of things and i remember i was just blown away by this man's athleticism and his energy and I thought I want to be like that (laughs) 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 yes he was his energy was infectious that's very interesting I noticed some people it's very difficult for them to shake their body or move or dance I don't know they're shy but I think even their private uh, space they don't do that like I do dance crazy when nobody's around and, and I just like it. But I know some people, it's not, it's not easy for them. Why do you think is that? Is it because they don't want to be vulnerable or they're not comfortable with their own body? That is it. And, you know, there is something about repetition and, and how it quietens the, the noise in the mind. So when we do repetitive activities, they help recalibrate our soul, our spirit, our essence. And when we dance, dance, I believe dance is the oldest art form before anything else. Sure. So when we, when we are not dancing, we are not expanding those natural and opening those natural, um, pathways to greater understanding of our body and and its function and its uh, dance that enables us to understand and to open up our body and and understanding of our body um, i guess in in certain cultures they've developed dance or movement in 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 certain ways you know and I guess I was talking to a guy called uh, Shosu Anyakten. He's from Connemara. He's one of the most um, uh, prominent Shano's dancers in the world. And when he moves, he just moves like water. His legs, they, they ripple like water, you know, when he moves and he plays to, I heard him play to a harp and he moved like water. The sounds of his feet and the harp were just flawless. 
and they say to me, us Irish people were a bit restricted, you know, we don't move, we, 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 we're quite uh, sexually frustrated as well, like, you know, we, we, we don't like, is the, you know, whereas in African dance, I see the movement is so open and, and, and we, we can do the conclusion that is because Irish people are dancing outdoors. <laughs> But that, 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 that's, that's another perception, maybe. People not wanting to move their bodies because they're not free. There's a disconnection with their mind and body and soul. So they cannot just let go of their body because they are not free in a part of their being. Is there any way to help them? I don't know, am I putting it in the right way, but... You have to make it okay to dance. We have to make it okay to move. We have to make it okay to move our bodies in any way uh, without uh, being reduced to the underdeveloped emotional understanding of movement. The lack of emotional development is only the problem and if people can dance and see what their bodies can do and take their bodies to another level uh, and their consciousness to another level you know dance yourself into a trance into a trance feel what it is to be uh, exhausted beyond and giving up the mind just giving up what's going on in the mind because that is just the problem, what goes on in the mind moderated by this dysfunctional world, I would say. Yeah, I totally understand what you're saying, but sometimes I thought when um, I create or I dance or I sing, by just doing that, I free my mind. Mm. Because I'm just enjoying myself. I'm just um, into the those movement or when I draw or when I uh, sing. I'm not a singer, by the way, but... but You sing. Everybody's a singer. I know. I know. But like, I mean, not a professional. You sing your own way. You <laughs> I, sing do, your own way. I do like to make noises. That's singing. Is that is sound. Yeah. And the, the, it's finding your voice and how to, because when I hear you talk and I hear the sounds and the way you talk and I hear Persian nuances, you know, in your accent and, and it's, 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 it's creating a sound picture that is honest to those feelings. And then that's one of the gifts that I believe I now have where I can hear sound, but I can hear it in symphony. That's incredible. I believe that all of us can um, do whatever we want. We can sing, we can dance, we can yes. paint, act. Mm. But the limitation uh, we put our mind, it blocks us. Yes. And I was asking somebody a few days ago, would the Jewish community in Germany allow their children to be educated by the Nazis. And no, they wouldn't. Nobody would allow such a thing. 
But in reality, the world order of education and knowledge, culture, expression, and exploration is actually defined by people who shouldn't and who don't even have the capacity to create. They just hoard, rob, and mass produce, but they don't create anything. And those who create are just kept in the outskirts, yeah. in the margins. But it's when those people in the margins realize that we, those in people in the margins, are actually the ones we have to create our own spaces. And until we create our own spaces where we are doing things amongst like-minded people, like-spirited people, like-hearted people, then we, we can only lead by example in the sense, <laughs> you can't beat originality and authenticity. And the thing that we need to realize is that we are the power. We are the ones who are able to teach those who have lost that magic for one reason or another, that ability for one reason or another. It's just understanding that ah, there's, a, there's a separation between uh, those who have been traumatized and those who traumatize. Yeah, I, I do every day think that who really I am, my authentic self, because we have a lot of uh, programming and conditioning that sometimes we act or react and that's not who really we are. It's like getting a job that we don't like. Yeah, the idea that the Prussian style of education was employed in Prussia was because when the Prussians were building their army, they first used peasants and the peasants wouldn't do as they're told. Once they got to the battlefields, they ran away. And the Prussians then decided that from an early age, we needed to train people to be obedient and follow instructions, stand in lines, stand in rows, march and sit in rows. Uh, and this is your path. You do this when you're six, you do this when you're 11, you do this, you go to school and one shoe size fits all because it's the army. It's preparing people to be obedient subjects. And unfortunately, some people have not realized that they can be creators. They can be godlike. They can, we, can, we are godlike. We are, we are made in the image of God. So we are natural creators. And this thinking is taken away when people are conditioned. And I guess artists... Uh, as Plato said, they don't make very good leaders because they're so idealist. They see the bullshit because that is the art. That, <laughs> is, that is the heart. The art is the heart, you know, because we have to make sense of all the bullshit and be honest and real with oh. who we are, what we are doing. And that takes a lot of introspection a lot of looking within a lot of exploration of yourself and identity and the world around you and unfortunately the majority of the people don't have that uh, gift it's been taken away do you think then some of us just 
born with this personality or you no know, somebody said to me um, what, what do you call yourself these days I, I call myself so many different things just depending on the situation yeah i noticed uh, yeah because at the end of the day we are so many things and who is anybody to put us into a little box exactly and i guess it's accepting the multi layers within ourselves and also looking at the social norms which i tell you they're ridiculous like you know but just so that i appear a bit normal in this uh, western european normal I, because if i was to be myself i'd be considered um, probably crazy and <laughs> and dangerous i guess I've learned to be Afropean as well uh, because consciously I realize now when I'm being European or when I'm using a framework of uh, European philosophy thought I'm very conscious when I'm being African but also I'm conscious when I'm centered when I am myself and I'm just drawing from the different sources of my humanity whatever and I um i am i am i am being uh, true to my essence i just draw different sources but at the same time i'm aware that sometimes people around me will perceive me in all sorts of ways but that's their reality exactly before you dance or perform Do you have any ritual? I, I believe every dancer must have, like you know, <laughs> I do. But um, my life is all about rituals. Uh, so they're just patterns, and these patterns—they're my conscious effort to. to raise my awareness or to to bring me to the place uh, where i need to be to to do what i'm going to do so i have a, i have a series of things that i do before i dance and i would say they're rituals what has been the biggest challenge you have come across in your career so far the biggest challenge uh, I'll tell you the biggest revelation was realizing that it wasn't about me at all. It wasn't about what I was creating. Uh, there's just a world that exists that excludes me, and no matter what I do, I'm not going to be included. So I stopped trying to be included. <laughs> not interested in integration anymore. I, I just want to be and. realizing that everything within the western or the perceived north is designed not with me as the other and i've had to grow myself as a global citizen and perceive myself as a global citizen as part of a a family of a of the majority because really the people who are excluded we are actually the majority it's only a, a 1% that controls 
the media, which is the source of the vehicle for, for art. And realizing that we had to create new platforms ourselves. We have to create new industries ourselves. We have to create uh, opportunities to do what we do ourselves. And that is not the government. In fact, uh, the, less I, the less I have from the government in my life, the better. And they're not there to look after me. Uh, and that I've realized to my own uh, growth that we are our own government. Yeah, I totally agree with you. That's why I'm doing this. I want artists talk yeah. about uh, their experience, the, the time they were vulnerable or um, their authentic self, um, healing. You're totally right. We need to provide a platform for ourselves. Yes, and I was in Dingle last weekend and I, was, I met this guy called Cormac and Cormac, he plays concertina. But he doesn't play concertina like the normal, like, like people played in traditional circles. He plays a concertina like he's playing hip hop. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the people don't like it, but who cares? Even they know that he's shit hot. <laughs> that he is so good that he can do that. He can do the traditional stuff as well. But he can play his concertina and make a room go wild. They said, one guy asked, I said, what do you think about Comac? He says, well, I think his concertina is too bassy. And I said, you know, the young people, they love the bass, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it's just, it's just a whole different way of playing concertina. And I said, it is. And he organized a concert on a beach with about 50 people, mm. maybe 40 to 50 people. He provides the chairs. It's a private location. The people buy the tickets online. Uh, you only find out the gig because you bought the tickets. Uh, and he does a brilliant one hour session. He has a few dancers and he, he, he makes his thing happen. He makes it happen. And we have to make things happen amongst ourselves as people and not depending on this government or this structures. Between ourselves, we create the things or the platform of what we want to do and how we want to do it. Exactly. Because we don't need people who are really not even in our frame of mind. They're just wanting to tick boxes, you know? These people are not artists. It's like, you know, you've got politicians and people who don't create, making policies that affect people who create. I mean, it doesn't, doesn't add up. <laughs> uh, after, after this interview, give me the uh, link for that artist. I put it. Uh, in oh, the brilliant. Yeah. yeah, I'll give you a link. I'll give you a link. Uh, you know, Ireland is a very, very advanced country, but also very, very young in its, not young, but uh, it's the trauma of Ireland really makes it humane, more sensitive and more connected to what is happening around the world. Irish people are connected with what's happening in Syria, in Palestine, in Africa, when Mandela was in prison, 
the Irish people were always at the heart of activism. So activism and fighting against colonialism and decolonizing is central to the Irish essence. And that's why I'm so aware why my ancestors brought me here because I needed to complete the circle. And coming here has helped me to complete the circle. And I guess it's not just something that I tell myself to make myself uh, do what I do every day, to make the decisions that I, I do every day, but I guess it's, it's making understandings, being understanding of the journey that Ireland has gone through. Yeah. And the journey that my country or the region of my country has gone through. And then realizing that there is a common thread, like there is, there is something that makes us the same. And then once that connection happens, everything flows. I do a struggle with one thing here sometimes, and why men in Ireland are not very expressive? Why they don't express their emotion or they... When you, when you emasculate a man, you know emasculate? Yes. When you emasculate a man, his women and his children and his essence, and his language, his heritage, his essence, you, you just rip the guts out of his soul. Uh, what does he have? And he goes into perpetual mourning and uh, disconnected with the sounds of his natural instinct, the heart, the sounds of the heart, the language, the heritage. So, there's a deep trauma, collective trauma in Ireland, which makes it that the men are emasculated to an extent. And you see it in African men, they drink the hell out. You see it in Native American men, they drink like mad. You see it in Aborigine, you know, all these drugs and alcohol. Fuck. And so working class people, have this experience, particularly in Ireland, where heroin and alcoholism and drug abuse and violence are the, the easy, not easy, but the more accessible ways of dehumanizing yourself. You see, they've, they've been so successful in the job that now we don't, we can dehumanize ourselves. Once we become aware of how as men we can be empowered, we can empower ourselves. And this goes to African men. African men express themselves in some dysfunctional ways. Same with Arab men, same with the European men. And it's understanding as men that this, the ground is shifted. Women have asserted themselves and that we need the matriarch. We need the matriarch to make the circle whole. And until we actually realize the matriarch as men, we assert who we are as a family. And I don't mean family as in male, female, but I mean as a... But how we could bring this awareness? Um... Celebration together Celebration. And, have, and have experiences together and have examples together. 
and share it together and imagine, recreate what masculinity is, invent new masculinity, invent new ways of being masculine uh, without allowing society to, you know, and I say society with a small s because the people that shape our opinion are not, you know, the majority. You see, I believe that the uh, feminine and masculine, um, let's call it energy, it, they work together. It's like to. a yin and yang. It's like a um, wheel. And if one part of this energy is blocked and is not moving, the other one is not going to move. So we yes. work together. It's not like we are um, separate. We are no, not. We're not. Even as a woman, I do have a masculine side and I do I, celebrate both. Yes. You know, you, about 11 days ago, I came across this understanding why they practice FGM. What is FGM? Female genitalia mutilation. Oh, sorry. And also they, they also practice MGM. And I was asking myself, oh, you see this, this new explanation. Disease is out and uh, you're safer sexually and you're more healthy for men if you're circumcised. But that doesn't add up. And then I got deeper and I realized that Men and women are born men and women. Both are born men and women. And society or this decided, okay, we are going to take the woman from the men off, take off the woman from the men and take off the men from the woman. So you are now a woman, you don't have both. You're now a man, you don't have both. But we're born with both. We're born with both. We don't both. It could be sometimes some uh, part of my uh, femininity is stronger, and it's I operate from that side. Sometimes my masculine part become very strong, and I like it. Yes, but you, you, you see, Irish women are powerful. They are. Yeah, Irish women, they have you know even in Catholicism. Mary is revered more than Jesus. You're right. Yeah, the mother of God. God as a mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's, it is the hidden ancient traditions of the Celtic people that are the true essence of who the people that call themselves British or Irish really are. I guess becoming comfortable, I know that the space and the spaces that I moved in Britain, in Northern Ireland, that some people spiritually, they're still children, you know? And even in outlook and understanding of life, I would be considered probably a bit, uh, I'm not going to use uh, maybe a bit, uh, I'm not even open-minded, 
because open-minded, I think there's a different reality of life that must be coming from our inner self that is not being allowed by the Western environment that we surround us. It's, it's fighting that, uh, that over-exertion of European Western values and reality and just keeping the true essence of, of who one is. That is the challenge. And I guess it's only possible when we're able to do those rituals that we talked about earlier. Yeah. And those rituals, they, they center us again, they make us, they bring us to that point. They bring us, you know, the, the, the Conde, the um, Caduceus, the two, the snakes like this, the snakes. Yes, yes. And the spine in the middle and the blue snake and the red snake, the male and the female and the staff in the middle is the spine and the wings is how we're able to open up the top chakra and so we can fly. So the Caduceus was carried by Mercury in ancient Greek philosophy. Mercury, to my belief, it's just my opinion, I think in Greek mythology, he is the strongest God <laughs> because he can go to hell and he can go to heaven and he can transport messages. And he is the God of the artists, of the thieves, of the, 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 uh, the, my, um, the arts, the culture. So I guess in, in saying that, the reality is artists have that gift as long as they're willing to, to travel like Mercury. Sometimes you must go into the depths and then, and then, you know, reflect and come out into the heavens and reflect. And the life of an artist is not yours. It is belongs to the universe. And it's just reaching that point where we can let go. And when we let go, then the universe can do its deeds. And then everything falls in place yeah. without but even trying hard. You're right. My work is not for me. Mm -mm. It's getting to that point and, and then recognizing that point and then seeing, it's almost like, you know, when you get out of your body and you look at yourself and you observe your consciousness as an observer of yourself. Yeah. And you meditate, you know, you know. I know. <laughs> uh, it's a long journey. It is a long journey. I'm, uh, I, I, I'm at the beginning of it. Oh, you've made more, yeah, you, you know, I guess recognizing where you are, but I was talking to myself the other day, uh, as I do, and I was saying to myself, how do you get to know what point you are in your personal growth? And I, I realized that I, 
I'm constantly unpeeling, I'm constantly, but the only way I can stay sane is going to my child state, just going back to the little child, yeah. but to a safe place as a child, because some of the spaces are traumatic and they're hard. So I go to the place where the world was my oyster. And I call it time traveling. And we can time travel when we can connect with our young self or ourselves in all, then we can connect with all humanity because we can go to that place and we can be in the zone without losing, yeah. Yeah, I actually um, think that we should do it every day. Um, yes. And I, I noticed that as much as I do these practices and I go within, it helped me to connect with people um, better and really mm. connect, not just talk to people, but feel them mm. and love them. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's just, this is growing by me doing those practices. Mm. Because I can let go of all those baggages. The, you know, I'm a passionate person. So I feel strong emotions. And in expanding my emotional vocabulary, I'm learning about the different emotions, why these emotions are so strong uh, for certain people at certain times and it's understanding what is happening in the universe around what I asked the universe for and around me. And I guess, you know, because love is the strongest emotion, because love is the strongest emotion I create. And so even if something is like painful and hard, there's still love in it because that love allows the articulating, the understanding over and under understanding, you know? So sometimes I feel such strong emotions and I'm trying to figure out what does it actually mean? And the majority of the time it's because there's some, it's always, it's always in black and white, like the picture behind you. And it's unpacking how to make those strong emotions become what they are. They give birth to something and it's allowing that birth to happen without, you know, this is where men fall a lot because our emotional development has been stunted a lot because of patriarchy. Yeah. Patriarchy has brought toxic masculinity and toxic masculinity makes us equate everything to our prime evil instinct. And our prime evil instinct reduces us to something that is not empowering. And it's just understanding those stronger, like when you have a strong a, attraction to a certain uh, female, male, and you want to understand what is going on, is it that I'm just sexually, physically 
mentally, spiritually, what is going on? Is it because there's something that the spirit, the universe is connecting at a level and I just haven't been able to tune in to that frequency and the frequency I must go to is through meditation and vulnerability and just giving up the mind. But it's for us to find out or to get to a place where we can be willing to be that vulnerable yeah. and protecting ourselves you know being defensive doesn't allow that mm. so i'm just telling you that these strong emotions intense emotions are happening all the time like you know that's how my life has been so i have these strong intense emotions and i'm wanting to discover why and when i don't my world goes this doesn't work things don't work yeah. so it's just expanding my emotions as a man in a in a in a toxic world but allowing my understanding to be broader you know in in a world that doesn't want it to be broad oh, i totally agree with you I'm, it makes me sad when um i talk to friends male friends that they say they are not able to cry. Um, they are not able to feel. Mm. It's their heart is closed. And mm. it's, it's, I don't know, because, because maybe because of all this labeling. Even they say yeah. to the women, um, you're so emotional. I, mm. That's my strength. <laughs> that is the strength. Without the emotion, there's commotion. And you know, it's like a single reaction, emotion. What they can understand, they react with aggression. Instead of unpacking, it's, it's, it's almost like a stunted understanding. It's almost like arrested development. And that is how the Prussian style of education molded the people, predominantly the people in, in, in Ulster. And Ireland, of course, you have a very subservient, obedient uh, people. The, there's a minority that challenge things and they keep things moving. The, the, the ideas people, they keep imagining, reimagining things. And they are very important, even though they are not always recognized, but they're there, the artists. Thou art, you know, we're creating and we, we're not necessarily imitating, but the world needs us to be challenging the reality, inventing new reality. Brave. I think um, this awareness is growing. It is. It is growing. But it needs us now to follow through with action and actual, you know, when people see what is possible and they say, how did that happen? And you just show them how simple it was and that they can also do it. And suddenly the gate opens. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I was with the on this weekend I was filming um a documentary about the history of Irish and American dance and music in the last thousand years and how Irish dance influenced American dance and how African dance and how Persian, Berber, all these different dances came and created all these different dances in this world that we know as popular culture. And I was dancing uh, and Liam O'Manley from the Hot House Flowers was playing harp and we just, he just started playing something else than what we were supposed to do. And it was an air. Now, normally Irish people don't dance to airs because they're slow and they're sad and they're melancholic. So people don't dance to them, they just listen to them. So I decided I'm going to dance. And again, I was able to experience something interesting. And then Liam came up to me and he says, you know what, Tura? I think you've opened up another gate there. <laughs> <laughs> we have to open doors. We have to open doors and we have to be willing to walk into those doors. And when we walk into those doors, have a sense of integrity that enables us to see things clearly. And I think integrity allows clarity. I love that. 